This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 10th, 2021. In this week's Intego Mac Podcast, we'll highlight some of the new privacy features coming in iOS 15 and macOS Monterey. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm just fine. We've had a busy week, haven't we? Apple announced a whole bunch of new stuff, and we both watched it, and we've both been reading about it, and I've been writing about it, and we're going to point to a couple of articles on the Mac Security blog in the show notes. One is about the privacy features in iOS and macOS and iPadOS, and the other is about the rest of the features. There are many of them. Today, we want to take a deep dive and look at these privacy features. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that this presentation has more new features across all the operating systems than anything in years. There, Yeah, in, in some ways, I feel like there were a lot of new things. Um, although they were, at the same time, I think a lot of the, especially non-security and privacy related things, I feel like there weren't um, a lot of really big advancements unless you happen to also be an iPad user. There are some, some features like... Uh, uh, what they call that is it continuity related features um, where they enhance the ability to to go from one uh, screen to the other just by setting up an iPad next to your Mac and there's some things like that that I think are pretty cool but really only benefit you if you also are using iPads well or if you're using two Macs Continuity is the sort of umbrella term for all the things that work across devices. And so this includes AirDrop, and this includes the fact that you can copy something on one device and paste it on another. They're calling this universal control, which I think is a terrible, terrible term. It sounds like really Orwellian. But with universal control, if you have a Mac and a laptop or a Mac and an iPad, you can move the cursor from the Mac onto the other device. You can use the cursor on the other device. You can drag and drop things. And I just think this is stunning. We're going to talk about this next week. I sometimes work with my iMac and my laptop. So if I'm testing something or if I'm, say, recording a screencast on my laptop, I've got to switch from my Mac to the laptop and got to turn and, you know, go on the other keyboard. And this way you just swipe over and you're there. And I think that's just wonderful. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of other non-privacy related things, but there's so much to say that really we're dedicating this entire episode to just talking about the new privacy features in iOS, iPadOS, and macOS Monterey. But before we do that, don't you have something else to say, Josh? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> In last week's episode, we talked about Prime Day, and I said that don't they usually have Prime Day on a Prime Number Day? But it, apparently, I was misremembering that. Apparently, every single Prime Day has not been a Prime Numbered Day of the month. So um, that was kind of a surprise to me. I'm glad we straightened that out. <laughs> I think we were both surprised when we looked to see how long Prime Day has been around. It only started in 2015. So this will be, I guess, the seventh year for Prime Day. Yep. Okay, so let's get into Apple privacy. And 
I kind of like you're playing cards and they've dealt you all the Trump cards here with all these privacy features. And, and a lot of these things are really, really powerful. So we're going to go in order that I presented them in my article. That'll be the easiest way to follow it. The mail privacy protection, the, the hide my email feature, I find really interesting. So I don't know how many times you've encountered sign in with Apple. Has it been around for two years? I think it has or a year and a half. I very rarely see it. I've seen it with apps a few times, but almost never on websites. And the idea of that is you don't have to give your actual address to a website or to an app. You give your iCloud address and Apple creates a random address that forwards to your iCloud address. Now they're doing the same thing with hide my email. Let's say when you want to sign up for a newsletter someplace and you really don't want to give your email address because they might sell it to another company and spam you. Or you know that place where you signed up for an email newsletter and you end up getting emails every day and you click the unsubscribe link and you can't unsubscribe? Well, with this, you'll be able to go, I guess, in your iCloud settings, maybe on the web, and you'll have this address. You'll make a note of what it was for. And if you want to unsubscribe, you can just do it automatically. Basically, Apple kills the address because it's a random address. So they just delete it. One of the things that is different between this and what Apple had before. So hide my email. First of all, we should say that this and some of the other features that we'll be talking about are things that require an iCloud Plus subscription. So if you had any level of iCloud subscription, now that's being upgraded to iCloud Plus, and it will include some additional features included with the, the existing subscription. Right. If you've paid for storage, that's what a subscription is. Not if you have an iCloud account. Now, if you're not paying for storage, you'll be paying 99 cents a month for these extra features, and they're worth it. Plus, you'll get 50 gigabytes of iCloud storage. So the difference here is that with sign-in with Apple, which was an existing feature, you had to actually rely on the company to offer that as a method for signing up for an account with that service. Um, and not everybody does that. And like you said, I, I haven't seen a ton of websites and apps that offer that feature for sure less than half a dozen that, that I've encountered. Um, that's not a lot. So I think this is the next step for that. Hide my email is Apple's response to a lot of companies not adopting sign in with Apple. And they're like, fine, okay, we'll give our customers a way to still have a private address. And those websites don't have to use sign in with Apple in order for that to, to be a benefit that our users can get. Okay, invisible pixels. I, I think I learned about invisible pixels 25 years ago, back in the day. That what did we use them for back then? Oh, we used invisible pixels. You would take an invisible pixel and you could set size attributes. You could say it was like 400 by 600, and you can use it to space out things on a web page. And really, really early HTML. But since then, invisible pixels are used by advertisers and trackers, and Apple's going to kill them off. Yeah, well, as it should be. <laughs> so this is one of those things that have been used in web pages for ages and ages, um, including as a tracking method. But also email does this now. Of course, email for decades has been using rich HTML code and has been pulling things down from the internet as you load an email. Email is not what it used to be. Originally, email was just plain text. 
and you didn't have to worry about all kinds of active content and junk loading inside of an email. And now almost every email that you get from a company is going to include extra junk. It's not just going to be plain text in almost every case. And so one of the things that they can do is they can track you. They can find out your unique IP address. Um, realistically, that is something that a company can get from you just by loading an image in that email. Because if that image has a unique identifier attached to it, then that company not only knows that you individually with your email address have loaded that image in your email, but they will also get your IP address. It'll show up in a log and they can find that out and tie that uniquely to you. So if you're talking about um, a tracking company getting that information, that's something very valuable for those tracking companies to have about you. So um, what Apple is doing here is that they've added this feature called mail privacy protection, which is supposed to block invisible pixels, prevent senders from collecting that data, including your IP address, um, which is pretty cool. Now that feature is actually off by default, which I find kind of interesting. Um, they don't say that this is going to require iCloud Plus, which is good, but you do have to remember to turn that feature on when you get iOS 15 and Mac OS Monterey. So one thing that's interesting about invisible pixels is companies that send out emails use invisible pixels to know if people have opened emails. If you get an email in your inbox, you just delete it right away. The, the email isn't rendered. The HTML code isn't rendered and it doesn't have to connect to a server. And the invisible pixel tells the company that it has connected to the server, so it's been open. What Apple's going to do is they'll actually be loading all those invisible pixels in the background, but it won't be tied to your IP address. So any company sending out emails will get a 100% open rate. Now, the open rate when you send mass emails is important because let's say you're getting 50% open rate and 15% people click on links. These are the kind of stats you get from email newsletters. Well, in the future, you won't know how many people have opened your emails. You'll know how many click your links because you'll be tracking that differently. But you won't know how many people open your emails anymore. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> ah, see? Because Intego sends out a monthly newsletter, and it's important for Intego to know how many people have opened, how many people have clicked, etc. Right, right. In fact, I mean, that's one of the ways that we can know what to include in our next newsletter is, you know, what, what do people find most interesting? So... This is definitely something that's kind of um, interesting to to see how this will develop and and whether companies have maybe a negative reaction to to this uh, privacy enhancing feature. Okay, Safari is doing another similar thing, preventing trackers from getting your IP address. And you know, as I was reading about this and writing about this, I was remembering back in the day where it really didn't matter if someone had your IP address because with dial up, every time you connected, you'd get a different address. Now, if you've had cable internet for a long time, like in the US, you would have either a fixed IP or you'd have the same IP until you next reboot. Where I am, I don't think I've rebooted my router in the past year and a half since I got my fiber installed. So while I don't have a fixed IP, I think it's a permanent IP and there is some identification. So Apple seems to really be going in on that protection of the IP address, because the IP address is two things. It can help build a profile when companies aggregate information about what different IP addresses are doing, but it can also give a good idea of location where people are. 
What's really interesting to me about this is that, and it's a little bit confusing looking at what Apple says on their website, but as we understand it, it looks like what they're talking about here is that the intelligent tracking prevention feature that already existed in Safari has now been upgraded to prevent trackers specifically from profiling you using your IP address. Now, this differs a little bit from the iCloud Plus feature that they are calling Private Relay, which, as they describe it, it seems to be saying that you can block your IP address from any website that you visit, not just trackers, as long as you're using the Safari browser if you have iCloud Plus with iCloud Private Relay. So that seems to be the distinction there um, between the two. So basic Safari looks like the the basic intelligent tracking prevention feature now blocks your IP address from trackers specifically. And if you want your IP address to be blocked from every website you visit, it seems like iCloud Private Relay with iCloud Plus is what is required for that. Okay, finally in Safari, Safari will automatically convert HTTP web addresses to HTTPS, the more secure protocol. Yeah, this is honestly almost every browser is doing this right now anyway, so it's not really that big of a deal, but it is good. Um, it is good that Apple is finally doing this with Safari. <laughs> kind of surprised that they weren't already, but um, good for them for catching up with everyone else in the industry. By the way, so we're going to have an article very soon about the differences between iCloud Plus and what they offer with their private relay service and what an actual real VPN actually will do for you. There's a pretty big difference. And so we want to make sure that you don't miss that. So stay tuned to the blog for that. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about some more new privacy features. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so more privacy features. The new iOS app privacy report. Now, I find this interesting. You've long been able to tell which apps access your location, your photos, your camera, your microphone, and your contacts. This is on iOS. On macOS, you have similar things. There's going to be something called app privacy report, which tells you the apps that have accessed your location, photos, camera, microphone, and contacts. You can already see that, but they're putting it all in one place, I think is the only difference. So if you go into the privacy settings and you look at camera, you'll see which apps have asked for camera. Whereas here, they're grouping together apps that have asked for things. It's not really giving you any more information, 
But I guess the way of presenting it makes a lot more sense than having to check all five of these categories to see which apps are there. Right. And one of the nice things about this, and, and you can see a screenshot of this in Kirk's article on the Mac security blog, in addition to having all this in one place, which is really nice, you can see how recently uh, that this data was requested. You can see uh, how many total requests came from a, a particular app. I think that's actually one of the most useful things about this. So if you want to see all the ways that, for example, if you've got the Facebook app installed, how many different types of privacy violating potentially requests it has made recently, you can get that exact number. And chances are, if you've got a, a Facebook app installed, it's going to be pretty near the top of that list. It's not really privacy violating. If you want to post photos on Facebook, you choose to allow Facebook to access your photos, right? Well, okay. But 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 some of these things are like location, for example, which um, you don't necessarily want apps to be able to grab that about you. Well, you turn it off then for the apps. Okay. So it's they do call this app privacy report. So yeah. another privacy related thing that's not related to your location is, do you know that apps are accessing your photos? Maybe you granted that permission once a long time ago, and maybe they're kind of in the background accessing your photos and you weren't aware of that. So if there are things like that that are going on, this will help bring that to your attention as well. It's interesting you mentioned that. I took a screenshot the other day. I have a Dyson air purifier fan in my office, and there's an app called Dyson Link. And I got a a warning one day. It says Dyson Link has used our location once in the background over the past three days. Do you want to continue to allow background location use? And I could change the only while using and always allow. The reason it gets the location because it checks the air quality outside, et cetera, et cetera. But this is an alert that's been around for a while, and I see it every now and then for different apps. Like I use Dark Sky for weather, and I get that as well for Dark Sky. And if you play augmented reality games, for example, Pokemon Go, you're going to see this every so often too. It's going to say, hey, this app is tracking you in the background because it wants to do certain features that are related to your movement. Then you're going to have to authorize those kind of things on a regular basis as well. Um, one other thing that's worth pointing out here is that one of these privacy features is it will notify you about the use of your camera. In some cases, and this shouldn't be as much of a problem anymore now that iOS does include that feature to put a little bubble to, to notify you that um, someone is currently using your camera, if an app is currently using it. Um, but that's another thing that will be called out in this app privacy report. Okay, so we mentioned iCloud Plus and iCloud Private Relay. As we said, you have to have a paid iCloud account which starts at a buck a month. And talk about Apple nickel and diming people. They give you five gigabytes, but it's never enough. And so you have to pay a buck. But now they're saying, well, you're getting some really great features for that dollar a month. And I think this is a good deal. I pay $3 a month for, what is it, 200 gigabytes of storage. And I feel that this is, a, this is good value here. So iCloud Private Relay is not a VPN. It's a proxy service. So first of all, it only works in Safari. It doesn't work anywhere else on your devices, iOS or Mac. If you want to visit a website, you're going to go through two proxies. The first assigns an anonymous IP address that indicates the region where you are, but not your precise location. The second proxy decrypts the address of the website you want to visit and forwards your request to that site. And then the site replies and it goes back through the two proxies. So the website is never going to know where you are. 
and they're never going to get your actual IP address. And this is going to prevent a lot of targeted advertising. And it's definitely going to prevent, even if trackers are blocked, websites can still be recording your IP address and using it to build profiles. So I think this is a great idea, but it's nothing like a VPN. Right. Again, stay tuned for that article. We'll we'll have it up very soon on the Mac Security blog. It's pretty striking to look at a side-by-side comparison of what Private Relay offers you versus what an actual VPN offers you. Although it sounds like this is a VPN, Apple never actually called it a VPN at all during their Apple event. And for good reason, because there are only only like a couple of specific features that are VPN-like, but that don't really cover everything that a VPN does. Okay, iCloud Plus will also, and I'm going to put a finally in here, allow users to use custom domains for their iCloud email accounts. I We should do a show about all the travails I've had with email hosting over the years. Now, it, email hosting with, with Gmail was fine. I, I was with Google for many years, but I just didn't want my email on Google, and I moved away from it, and it's been such a headache. I will be so happy to move my personal domain to iCloud and let them take care of my email. Right. And I agree with you. I mean, we could certainly talk about this in the context of non-privacy and security related features. But just the fact that I think so many people have a Google based uh, custom domain and are are getting their email through Google, through Gmail. Um, I, I think this is a really important privacy feature that Apple is offering this. Apple, of course, as a as a company, they present themselves as caring a lot more about your privacy than companies like Google. <laughs> we know some of the things that Google has done with uh, access to people's email. It's not necessarily the most egregious um, all the time, but um, it, it's one of those things where you don't really want to give a company that makes most of their revenue from advertising access to all of your emails. That's kind of crazy. So it's great that Apple is is finally offering this for iCloud. Definitely agree with you on that. And it's not clear yet, but I'm assuming that you'll be able to use Hide My Email with the custom domain. Yeah, I hope so. Um, it, it it seems logical that they would allow you to do that, but I, I, guess, uh, I guess we'll see. If they're hosting your domain, then they can just create as many random addresses as they need. Sure. Finally, expanded HomeKit secure video support. I I don't know a lot about this. One thing I did notice in the press is that if you have one camera, it's free. But if you have multiple cameras, you have to have a two terabyte iCloud plan. Oh, Probably because the amount of of data that the videos are going to take up, especially if you have a video that's recording all day long and not just on motion detection. Interesting. Well, um, it is good to see that Apple is expanding um, HomeKit secure video support, but... um, But that is interesting to note that they are going to charge you a lot more if you've got more than one camera that ties in with this. Now, notably, there are a lot of very popular security cameras, including Ring doorbells, for example, and anything on the Ring ecosystem that do not yet tie in with HomeKit. I don't know if they ever will because they've kind of got their own separate ecosystem. Unfortunately, there are a lot of different Internet of Things ecosystems that are all very disparate and don't necessarily all work together very well. I would really like to see at some point all these things be much more tightly integrated and cross-compatible with each other. At WWDC, Apple did announce that they're involved in something called Matter, which is an alliance among a number of Internet of Things companies to sort of develop standards based on a unified IP-based connectivity protocol. Now, I think they've all been talking about this sort of Internet of Things 
alliance, various alliances for years, and we haven't really seen them come to fruition. But it's true that with the popularity of these devices now, someone's got to get things in order. Yeah. So, I mean, this does at least give a little bit of hope. But like you say, there have been a lot of coalitions like this. And uh, I don't know. Time will tell whether enough companies band together and really start doing cross-compatibility things like they should be. Okay, iOS security updates. And we always talk about the fact that Apple gives full updates to the latest operating system and to the previous iOS, not always. And there's going to be a new option in the settings app in iOS. If you don't want to or cannot update to iOS 15 right away, you can choose to stay on iOS 14 or iPadOS 14 and continue to get security updates. Now, we would certainly recommend to our listeners to update to iOS 15 right away. All the devices that can run iOS 14 and iPadOS 14 will be able to upgrade to version 15. But the reason Apple's doing this, I believe, is because there are a lot of enterprises and administrations that have large numbers of devices that can't always update right away for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're using software to manage their devices. Maybe they have in-house apps that they've developed. And this allows them to ensure that they get security updates and, and not have to worry too much about their devices being at risk. One thing I wanted to mention about this is that there is a little bit of a change here. And there are some things that are not completely known yet about this. So we know that Apple is going to be releasing security and feature upgrades for iOS 15 and only security updates for iOS 14. Now, it's kind of funny because, as you mentioned, the same devices that are compatible with iOS 14 are compatible with iOS 15. Also, iOS 13 had the same system requirements as 14. So what we don't know is whether iOS 12 is still going to get security updates, because as long as iOS 13 and 14 have been out, 12 has still been getting a few security-only updates. And of course, there are devices that can only run iOS 12 because there were some differences in uh, device compatibility between 12 and 13. So it remains to be seen whether some devices like, for example, the iPhone 6 will continue to get security updates after iOS 15 is out. It, uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, hopefully Apple will let us know, but um, chances are they probably won't say anything about it and we'll just have to wait and see. It does seem a little bit odd for two operating systems that have exactly the same system requirements both getting security updates at the same time when Apple's never done that with iOS in the past. It's always been that you only get updates with the current OS or in the case of iOS 12, a, a previous OS because of device compatibility reasons. Okay, there's some really interesting password improvements. They're rebranding the iCloud keychain. They're calling it iCloud Passwords. On the Mac, it's going to be a system preference pane instead of being hidden in Safari. And it looks like this is going to give you more of an ability to use it across the system rather than just in the one browser. On iOS, you can enter passwords in apps using the iCloud keychain currently. So maybe on the Mac, this is going to be the case. It will also be available for Windows and an extension will be available for Microsoft Edge. And it's going to have a built-in authenticator to generate codes for two-factor authentication. And I think that's really good. I think Apple's way behind on that. Um, they should have done this years ago, but I think they're now seeing that this is a proper password manager. iCloud actually 
can be a pretty decent password manager, especially if you're mostly using Apple devices. Now that they're expanding that support to Windows with an, uh, an extension for Microsoft Edge, I think that now they're Apple's really getting more into that space. They're they're kind of putting themselves out there and and really saying, okay, we really are serious about this. We want you to manage all your passwords with iCloud passwords, formerly iCloud Keychain. So this is a good thing. I like that you're going to be able to get access to your iCloud passwords through a supported web browser. I think that um, is is something that a lot of companies have been doing for a long time already, for many years now. And so it's nice to see that Apple's moving in that direction as well. So you don't have to have an Apple device with you. As long as you can get into your iCloud account, you can get to your passwords. Right. And I'm curious to see whether the passwords will be available on the web when you sign into iCloud.com. I would hope that they are. One other thing, which is showing how they're trying to make this into a password manager, you will be able to import and export passwords to and from other password managers. So basically... If you're using this password manager and you want to switch to iCloud, then you'll be able to do that easily. Currently, that's not, I don't know how easy it is to do that now. Finally, we're going to finish with account recovery contacts. You can nominate people who can approve you if you forget your Apple ID password and a digital legacy program. You can choose who can access your iCloud data in the event of your death. Finally, finally, there have been people who've gone to court to try and get photos and videos from their spouse's iCloud account. And Apple has always been extremely strict about this. So finally, you'll be able to choose your spouse, your parents, your children, whatever, in case something happens so your data won't be lost. For anybody who has not already established a digital legacy contact because it hasn't been available, that may not help you. But at least going forward, you can set yourself up with a contact that will have access to your account in the event that you pass away. Okay. Last thing, it's really tiny, but actually Josh likes this a lot. On iOS and iPadOS, if you copy something from one app and then you switch to another app, the other app can read what's in the pasteboard immediately. So Apple is introducing a thing called Secure Paste, where the app won't be able to read it until you choose to paste it into that app. Yeah, I love this. To this day, there are still apps that you can get in the App Store that will just without prompting you, will just steal data from your clipboard. So if you have recently, for example, copied a password to your clipboard from your password manager, and then you switch to your package tracking app, it might actually copy your password from the clipboard and send that off to a server operated by that tracking company. That's not good. That's really bad. And at least with iOS 14, it would alert you. It would let you know that that app has copied data from your clipboard. But now you you will actually get the opportunity to block that if you don't want this app to be grabbing data from your clipboard every time you switch to that app. This is great. Okay, that's enough for this week. There's a lot in privacy. We were discussing before the show, should we do the whole episode about these privacy features? And I think this is the first time in recent years we've had this much to talk about. So until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. 
The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>